Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our webinar, Security Services in the New World, in which, in conjunction with our sponsor, Coalition Greenwich, we review the recent financial performance of the global custodian banks and project near-term developments in the global custody industry. I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance, and I'm delighted to moderate our discussion today. We're going to begin with a short presentation by Eric Lee, Head of Security Services Research at Coalition Greenwich. But before Eric does that, I'd just like briefly to introduce our other panellists. Philippe Benoit is Head of Strategic Business Development and Transformation at BNP Paribas Security Services, a role which encompasses new and digitized businesses. Uh, Nadine Shakar is Head of State Street Digital, in which capacity she leads the bank's digital custody strategy. Chris Cox is the EMEA Head of Security Services and Global Head of Data, Digitalization and Strategic Projects uh, for Security Services at City. Now, in addition to our panelists, we do also have you, our audience. We want your questions, we want your comments, so do please send them, keep sending them throughout the webinar using the Q&A functionality at the bottom of your Zoom screens. Rest assured, uh, I won't be saving them all up to the end, but I'll endeavor to get our panelists to answer them as we go along. So you can be, if you choose to be, an integral part of this discussion right from the start. And I think I speak for all four of us and I say we'll be very disappointed uh, if you don't take that opportunity, uh, particularly in the light of the news last week. Now with that, I hand over to Eric Lee, who will share with us some uh, initial analysis and insights drawn from the work which Coalition Greenwich does uh, with Global Custodian Banks. Uh, over to you, Eric. Well, thank you very much, Dominic. Hello, everyone. Hope you are well and had a lovely summer holiday somewhere sunny. So I'm honored and delighted to be here and share some of our security services industry insights with you in the next 10 minutes or so. So by first thing first, so if we go uh, for some of you who don't know Coalition Greenwich, so we are a world leading provider of strategic quantitative and qualitative analytics insights provider to the broad financial services industry, including investment banks, commercial banks, asset managers, corporate security exchanges and fintechs. We are formed with the merger between Coalition and Greenwich Associates last year we are owned by Crystal, which is part of S&P Global. We specialize in providing a very unique high value and actionable information to help our clients improve their business performance. Our suite of analytics and insights encompass all the key performance metrics, particularly in our corporate and investment banking division. We help our clients with revenue opportunities, resource requirement, as well as client strategy. So what is our capability on security services? So our coverage are quite broad. You can see it in the next page, page screen, page three on screen, that we cover most of the products in security service industry. Please note, note that we don't just define the industry as custody and fund services. We also include agency sec lending, issuer services, and collateral management. We cover different client segments, we cover different regions, we cover different industry players, either being banks or non-banks. And also we have a very, very detailed operating cost analysis. So that's a quick introduction of us. Now let's look at some of the stats on page number four. 
So firstly, to set up the thing, let's look at the broader performance of the broad industry. On the left-hand side, the broad corporate and investment banking industry, which includes global markets, investment banking, transaction banking, and the security services. The industry revenue has been stable from 2016 to 2019. There were a little bit of improvement in 2010-2020 due to the heightened volatility, rising transaction volumes, as well as everybody rushing to financing during the year. Security services in this context is roughly 9% of the broad corporate and investment bank industry and is roughly $50 billion in size. Please note that this is the wholesale part of the business, so it's excluding retail custody as well as the services associated with that. If we look at the security services industry performance, we can see on the right hand side that the industry actually grow a little bit between 2016 to 2018, which is a little bit different from the broader CIB industry. Then the security services industry revenue was stable from there onwards. On the far right-hand side of this page, so if we look at the first half of 2021, global revenue of the industry remained flattish despite that the equity market had reached a historical high. So what are the key drivers for that? When we're looking at the components of the industry, the custody revenue declined due to net interest income, lower as well as lower custody FX revenue, especially in the first quarter of 2021. The decline was also partially offset by the model growth in fee income and AUC and deposits balances continue to reach new high during the year. Fund services, on the other hand, the revenue improved due to higher AUA. The growth was observed in most of the categories, but particularly in ETF servicing, in alternative fund services, as well as front-to-back offerings. Here, we're also looking at performance across a few other businesses, including agency lending, issue services, and the collateral and clearing. We've seen significant decline in agency sec lending during the year because of the lower spread, despite that the balances is actually holding up quite well. Collateral management revenue continues to grow, although the growth rate slowed down a little bit from the previous period. Some of you probably have guessed what we're gonna talk about next. So on to the next page. The revenue growth of the industry is severely lagging the asset growth of the industry in the past five years. I think that all of you know it as a fact already, but we are the only third party provider who can illustrate all of this in a numerical terms on a regular basis. On this page, we are evaluating how much is the fee pressure that the industry is facing and what is actually the fee discount on the industry at the aggregate level. We're looking at AUCA, we're looking at the total fee revenue, as well as the total revenue, which also includes net interest income, as well as FX. The chart on the left-hand side is pretty easy to read. So on average, the AUCA for the industry grow roughly 10% a year. And when we're looking at the revenue, either is measured on the fee terms or the total terms, it grows roughly 3% every year. What does that mean? 
It means that the actual discounts the industry is giving out to their clients are roughly 6% as illustrated on the right-hand side. So 6% is the magic number. The cumulative discount from the first quarter of 2016 to date is quite alarming. We are looking at 29% in total terms or 24% in fee terms. And if you watch the curve closely, you will also find that the shape of the curve is steepling, which means that the discount given out by the industry is actually significantly more in recent years comparing to the previous couple of years. So don't get me wrong, most of the industry players are in exactly the same pose. So then the next question is, how do they cope with this then? I'm sure that this will get discussed a lot within the next hour or so of the webinar. From a third party observer perspective, we mainly saw two things. So onto the next page, page six, you can see that first of all, on the left-hand side, most players have invested heavily in the high growth area. So the left-hand side chart states that the industry grows 13% in fees during the five years from 2016 to 2020. The traditional custody and the fund the main business as marked in the light blue color grow 5% during the five years while the focus the products as represented by ETF alternatives as well as front back grew 37%. So this is where majority of the industry players have invested in the past five years. As a result of that, you can see that the weight of this focus product has grown to 27% of the total revenue comparing to five years ago, it was 22%. The second biggest trends are industry consolidation. You all know who bought whom last week, so I'm not gonna talk about that. So the data point you are seeing here is actually on alternative services. Why the industry growing an enormous 53% during the past five years from 2016 to 2020, majority of that growth was actually cap captured by non-banks through a combination of organic growth as well as acquisition. This is just an example. We have seen various forms of consolidation in every single business of every single business area of security services, and we have data point to support every single statement of that. So with that, I'm gonna end my presentation here, and I hope you find this short presentation useful, and please join us for the upcoming panel discussion. Um, thank you very much for that, um, that presentation, Eric. Um, could I perhaps um, come to you first, um, Philippe? The, the, um, the story which Eric told there was of um, an industry whose assets in custody and assets under administration are, are increasing very significantly, uh, partly as a result of market valuations. At the same time, it has a problem in terms of growing both revenue and in particular growing revenue productivity. It's, it's offering services at a discount, I think was the phrase that, that Eric used. Uh, and much of the growth seems to be going to, to non-banks uh, non as well. Now, there are lots of different things which, um, which you know, could be done um, to, uh, to, to rectify that, that situation. Uh, consolidation is one which Eric has pointed out is being adopted already. 
but there are also cost-cutting measures, there are partnerships, there's outsourcing, there's setting up industry utilities. Um, I don't know, you could shift to some whole new uh, technology paradigm. There's a lot of talk about the cloud and how the industry needs to move towards the cloud and so on. What do you think the, the uh, and uh, just one other thing, one other thought I see is, is, is when I look at the, the data which Eric showed about the investment in alternatives, um, I wondered if that didn't just represent a case of the industry following where the buy-side clients are actually going into, into passive strategies and ETFs. It's not actually creating a whole new uh, revenue stream. It's kind of following the clients. So what is the, what do you think are the right measures to close the gaps, which Eric has pointed out, Philippe? Thank you, Dominique. And thank you, Eric, for your presentation. I think this might not look glamorous, as Eric said, in terms of trend. But I would like to start to say that I always take the image that security services is an industry within a banking world, in a way. So being in an industry, I think we should have this mindset in terms of mechanically being obsessed by transforming ourselves, reducing our cost. And I like even to say that we tend to... To have reasoning around unit cost, client profitability, like in an industry. So I think this is uh, this is very important. So in that respect, I think we should not forget just one topic on the on the top line is while of course you have the pricing pressure that uh, Eric did describe, we are in an industry where the pool of assets will continue to grow. And mechanically, they will have some positive impact on the revenue side. But this is a side comment saying that at least we have an underlying trend that is rather positive for the entire industry in terms of assets. Coming to, uh, let's say, uh, cost industrialization. I think what you just briefly mentioned are all the tools that we need to be obsessed with. And I think uh, with the objective of transforming. Definitely classical cost-cutting measure, but I think more importantly, recently, we have seen across the industry much more partnership, much more massive outsourcing, or utilities, as well as, uh, of course, the path to technology. And I think all the tools are important and we should neglect none of them. I think in our, in our side, to cope with a low uh, interest level, for instance, as well. Partnership is a good, uh, it's a, it's a good segue because it allows you to extend potentially your offer, but being at the same time a bit more frugal in terms of investment. So you extend your investment capacity, but leveraging partner. This is a good uh, segue. We have done, uh, we have done few indirectly. You, you have noticed last year, very visible transaction, maybe not as big as the one announced by, uh, by Nadine and the State Street Management team last week, but we made this partnership with all funds last year in the fund distribution space, very valuable. We are investing in the alternative, which is definitely a tailwind uh, area for the entire industry. We invested in technology, taking stake in a German uh, tech company called Asset Metrics to enlarge the capabilities of our platform, because this is probably a field that was underinvested technology-wise because it was less attractive 10 years ago, but we, still, we see still a gap today. 
And this is an area that is very manual today. So that's a couple of examples to show uh, that the transformation need to encompass all the tools that you said. And after you need to move it uh, forward through the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, Nadine, perhaps I could tempt you to give us a, a few thoughts now. Clearly, State Street has made a, a very interesting acquisition last week, but it's not the only thing you've been doing. You know, purchasing Charles River, for example, took you into a whole new uh, way of servicing buy-side clients. What's your thinking about how to close this gap between revenue and profit? Uh, thanks, Tommy. And I, and I do agree with what Philippe say, said. There's a, there's a lot of tools out there. Um, and I would say our asset servicing industry uh, has really had a really great tra track record at reinventing itself at every single every single decade. Uh, I think uh, every single time somebody's announced the death of uh, asset servicing and custody, I think this, uh, this industry has found in, in incredible uh, resiliency and innovation and pivoting. Um, and I'd like to think State Street has taken the lead there, uh, Dominic, to your part. Um, Charles River was uh, key in creating this front-to-back um, offering that uh, we've seen the rest of the industry participate in. And um, now with the acquisition of BBH, it just takes us uh, one more uh, level to um, you know, help us accelerate our strategy, um, whether it is and remain as close as we can to, to, to our clients. Uh, there, there are a couple of things uh, that I think uh, we're, we're seeing to, to help uh, close, close to gap. It is the introduction of new uh, products and services. I think in your introduction, you said, are we following the client? Um, I think our, our industry has always been very client-centric um, and in this very low-yield environment. Yes, everybody's paneling on uh, whether it is crypto custody or it's uh, um, an alter the alternative space. And I think that's where you're seeing the investments, not only because our clients are moving there, but I think it's it's a part of the industry that's ripe, uh, not to be disrupted, but to be reimagined. Um, and I think today we have the tools, we have the know-how and the means uh, to, to, to try to do that. So. Um, I'm as bullish as I was uh, when I first started many, many moons ago. Um, I think our acquisition of BBH just doubles down our commitment uh, to this space uh, that we want to be uh, better, faster, um, and continue to add uh, more benefits to our clients. And uh, we will leverage every single tool at our disposal from the cloud uh, to um, to all the other good things you're going to talk about later, Dominic, around crypto, digital. Um, so um, I think there is uh, there's there's good things um, happening to this industry, and it's uh, exciting to be in this space. Could I just before I let you go, Nadine? Could I just ask you one specific question about the Alpha platform, because it is an open architecture platform. It represents a whole new way of dealing with buy side clients, of which you're going to get a whole lot more now you've acquired BBH. Um, do you think do you see it as a platform or do you see it as the beginning of a much uh, more unusual strategy i suppose in which the world is moving towards some kind of decentralized data net by which i mean the technology people often refer to this as fabric in other words you're going and collecting, you're going and collecting data from different places you're making use of it as you wish um, whereas platforms of the type we've seen grow, Facebook's an obvious example, but Alpha initially at least is following that model. Are we looking here at a whole new paradigm, the global custodian bank as a data manager? 
I, I think we are, Dominic, and we've we've never shied away from saying that part of our strategy is to be a data custodian. So obviously, um, Alpha um, in general, Alpha Data Services in particular, and now gets like a massive turbo boost uh, with the acquisition of intermediary, right? That when you when you create and, and align both of them, um, just gives our clients an unbelievable capability to be able to uh, consolidate their data and that line between what data is custody or not custody just disappears, right? They they become seamlessly integrated there. Um, and, and we know, um, you know, our technology today is heavily dependent on good uh, data, uh, quick, clean data, um, which was really at the at the forefront of our front-to-back strategy, right? We wanted the ability of being able to take that data and pump it right through from front, middle to back. Um, and now that was the first step. I think intermediary uh, being part of our arsenal uh, just makes that a, lot, a, a much faster reality uh, for a lack of a better term. I also do uh, believe that Alpha is, is a platform um, and I do believe it's a good stepping stone among the other uh, tools that we have, whether um, it is our global link platforms, it is a lot of the work that we're doing in the peer-to-peer space. I think these are all stepping stones to get us uh, to an institutional decentralized uh, finance environment, which in my opinion, I don't think will ever be totally decentralized for institutional investors. You still need um, you still need a, a firm like a State Street or some level of credit intermediation in the middle, but it'll be a lighter touch and uh, one where you're definitely putting clients um, um, really a lot in, in the driver's seat versus. So um, I, I think that's definitely, um, at least in our minds, um, the, the map, the blueprint of things to come. So definitely uh, moving in that direction. Thanks, Nadine. And Chris, I'd like to bring you in and perhaps I could very unfairly throw at you the first question which has been offered by a member of our audience, which is, do you think the enlarged gap, and he's referring to the gap between asset growth and revenue and profits, is that enlarged gap due to limited technology investment to build scale? Uh, and a supplementary to that is, where do you see the opportunity lies in banks to reimagine this space? Nadine's begun to talk about how you reimagine the space, but perhaps you could deal, Chris, with that first question. Is this a lack of technology investment that's causing the problem? Um, I, great question. Um, I think people will always ask for more technology dollars, but I don't think in absolute terms necessarily it's about um, the gap itself per se is to do with technology dollars. Let's be really clear. One of the largest drivers in this is just the dramatic reduction in interest rates over the last 18 months. It's, it's an unprecedented headwind, both the clients and also the industry. Um, that said, I think that margin pressure is all around us. It's around us clients. It, it's particularly focused in mainstream active management. You've talked about both low-cost beta coming through and ETFs and also, also what the growth in private assets. So certainly there are, are segments where we see real growth. Um, the reality with, with technology investments is you have your legacy to maintain, you have your regulatory mandatory to respond to, and therefore the discretionary amount you get to invest is often perceived to be too little. But the reality also with technology investments is if you give someone a large sum of money to spend, it's actually incredibly difficult for them to spend it and spend it efficiently. So, so I would tend not to agree that, that that in large gap is purely down to technology. I think there are very many drivers associated with it. I think we're all on a journey to be a little bit more rational about how we manufacture services. And Nadine talked a little bit about what, what they're thinking about. Um, 
you also touched on this concept of open platforms. Open has many definitions. There's a, a definition open in the sense of available via the cloud. That can still be a proprietary and tied system where clients have to choose and, and lock themselves in and out certain data architecture and client data isn't perhaps particularly mobile. Um, open can also mean you know, similar things to open source where the industry contributes to standards. And we think um, with, within finance, one of the bigger opportunities actually relates to the achievement of common standards, right? We all have our own data services. We all use different data models. We all use different standards. The industry is incredibly fragmented. We see utilities appearing to solve some of those problems. So one of the things I think we'd be we as a firm are interested in is, is looking at a harmonization of that. If we could be more consistent in terms of how we exchange data, then some of the things Nadine alluded to, immediacy of data, speed of data, speed of data transfer, we, we think feed through. And then if I play back what, what uh, Philippe said, I mean, you know, again, in terms of servicing a client, you can really broaden the, the relationship you have with a client. You know, the bank like City, we're obviously very committed to security services. We're also a large universal bank, and therefore we can be an incredibly powerful partner to someone. When you connect all of those various pieces, you know, security services, markets execution, banking, advisory. Um, so there are very many ways of, of skinning the cat. So I think. Also, you need to recognize that if industry revenues are coming down in aggregate, it is very much impossible to become a much closer partner to people and grow your business. But the reality is the bottom end of the industry may get squeezed. And without putting words in the Dean's mouth, that may have been one of the drivers associated with the, the transaction that they did. So I think, you know, I, I would challenge the question, and I hope I've answered it. But I do think there is going to be an underlying theme of industry consolidation and bigger relationships with people, more strategic relationships with people and trying to get, you know, your firm, firms like City aligned with clients to really drive the growth of their business. Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm going to come back to that question of technology transformation. So I think it's a very interesting one that the, a member of the audience has raised there. Before we do, could I just ask you, Eric, a, a, a couple of things. One of, the, one of the points you were making really was that the global custody industry isn't very good at uh, keeping the benefits of the cost savings it does make. They tend to get passed on to the client. How can they change that? And secondly, uh, Chris brought up the question of the unusually um, hostile monetary conditions at the moment. Prolonged period of very low interest rates, lower than ever right now. So what would happen to the industry if interest rates went up? You would kind of expect market values to go down and net interest margin to go up. But have you modelled whether that would have a, a very positive or a very negative or an indifferent uh, impact on revenues and profits at global custodian banks? Sure. So thanks very much, uh, Dominic. That's a very, very good question for three questions together. So I'm trying yeah, to address sorry. them in the reverse order. I think it's a very popular debate between equity analysts that whether a high interest rate would lead to a lower equity market which in turn attributes to a lower custodian fees. Our data actually shows that in the last rate rising cycle, so 2016 and onwards, the impact of a high interest rates was actually mostly positive for the industry. Why I know that the past performance is no guarantee of future things, but uh, I'm still rather convinced that if and when lift interest rate, uh, when a Fed lift interest rates from 2023 onwards, it's still going to be net positive for the industry. Put aside the asset valuation questions aside, there's additional two factors we need to consider. 
first of all, been global custodians have by now more or less optimized their liability structure. I think that from our data, we've seen that happening very, very fast up until the end of 2020. So that is going to be a good tailwind when the race rise. Second of all, you will for sure alleviate the pressure, especially the fee pressure on certain fixed income products. I know we talked a lot on the equity side, the equity market going up and down, but don't forget about in a lot of market, the fixed income portfolio is also important. And the fee pressure there is very, very different from what we've seen in the equity side. So that is what I would say on the interest rate side. On the whether custodians have sort of like passed along all their cost cutting to their clients, I'm afraid that uh, we have data on cost, we have data on discounts. I think it's probably no surprising that during the past five years, all of these savings global custodians have done in the cost cutting through various cost cutting measures has more or less gone to their clients. It's not a long-term strategy because I don't, you, you, you are all business leaders, whether you're on the panel or in the audience, this is not a long-term strategy. So how do we actually change the paradigm? There's two things we can think about it. One is within the industry, one is outside of the industry. The first thing is, I think within the industry is, cross-sale is key, cross-sale into other areas, which is quite important, what, which, which do does mean that the bigger and the broader your, fri your franchise is, the easier it gets. And then let's actually deal with the real question here. Why there's a, such acute margin pressure in the industry? If you think about the box, it is coming out of the natural competition between all the global custodians. But most importantly, the margin pressure is actually being passed along through the value chain. I don't think that the industry itself can fix itself by fixing your own problem. But equally, I don't think that the industry has the time and the fortune to say, let's wait for 10 years for the other parts of the value chain to fix themselves so we can then look at ourselves. I think the most likely outcome is in the next 10 years, the industry is trying to fix their own problem, but at the same time, the other parts of the value chain is trying to fix their problem. So the question for all of us on whether you're on a panel in audience is, what are you going to do with it? I think that you cannot just stay still, say, we're just going to do nothing and wait and see. The most likely, I think, strategy employed by most of the people probably going to be, they say, the magic bullets would be a, a combination of all the things, uh, Dominic, you said, or Philip, you said, and Nadine, you said, or Chris, you said. This is a combination of all the things together. But one thing I think a lot of people have not looked at is, have you actually ventured out to look at upstream or downstream of the business? This is where I think the industry's next focus points are because equity markets or the capital markets has clearly valued different parts of this value chain differently. And there's a reason for that. So as a, as, as, as a consumer, we are all very sensitive to supermarket price. We all understand there's a factory difference between factory price, wholesale price, retail price. As a security services industry, we should all explore, also explore the same idea. The price pressure exists everywhere, but the magnitude of this pressure is different. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you can give us a sense, Eric, of which of the various businesses which you cover, you know, the custody, the funds, the collateral management, the securities financing, lending, even the issue of services, you have an idea of which of those is most at risk of being disrupted? <laughs> that price pressure getting too <laughs> This is like, uh, 
not pay, picking pay, uh, picking your favorite child, it's picking your least favorite child of all of that. So uh, I, I, I think that we have seen an influx of disruptors coming from the FinTech world in each of these uh, areas. But if you look at what is actually, I probably think that uh, in 10 years time, there's two factors is gonna drive into what sort of world we're looking at. The first four is how far the tokenization is gonna go. I think this is gonna fundamentally change changing the operational infrastructure of the industry, whether global custodians going forward is gonna be a technology uh, aggregator or they're just gonna handle their client relationships. The second biggest thing is whether there's gonna be a creation of the financial behemoths outside of this industry is actually gonna eat into global custodians lunch. I will say this is probably the by far the two biggest factors as nobody knows what's gonna happen in 10 years, but depends on the outcome of one of the two, the industry could look very, very different in 10 years time. Thanks, Eric. Now, uh, Philippe, perhaps I could uh, I could tempt you to address that point, and I'm sure Nadine, you have some some thoughts on this as well. But if we go back to to a point which Chris raised, which is you know legacy systems, um, he kind of left that hanging there, but it is obviously very difficult for established major financial institutions with entrenched client bases simply to say, well, actually, we're going to switch to a whole new technology paradigm and keep the clients with you. You know, there's a there's a very high risk with that. It's a very long payback period. It's not an easy thing to do. But at the same time, you've got all these technologies out there which could theoretically transform the economics of the industry. Um, robotics, which the industry has been toying with for some years and it doesn't seem to have found it very lucrative. There's AI and machine learning, which again, it's using, uh, but we're probably in the foothills of that. And then there's what, um, what Eric has just raised, the, the question of tokenization, blockchain-based uh, networks uh, onto which tokens of all kinds, non-fungible and security tokens, um, get issued. So my question to you is, how difficult is it for the industry to technologically transform itself over whatever time period you, you care? And secondly, under how much pressure is it to do that from these new blockchain-based networks, which are creating this tokenization threat? I just read an interview this morning with a, with a, with a major sub-custodian bank saying that in, you know, in 10 years time, everybody will be issuing security tokens, not not securities, and you guys are in the securities industry. So if he's right about that, this is a very large and substantial black cloud somewhere on the horizon to which you have to respond now, either because it transforms your revenues or because it transforms your costs or because it does both. You probably lost the question I'm trying to ask in this, but it's really twofold. <laughs> One is how hard is it to, to transform yourself technologically? And secondly, how big a problem or opportunity is tokenization? No, thank you, Dominique. And uh, I, I want just to rebound and to say that I, I, I share the optimism of uh, Nadine and, and Chris uh, as well explaining in one way. Of course, we, are, we have some challenges within our industry, but we have been always good to reinvent ourselves over the last decades. And I'm still convinced we will do. And uh, I can say that looking at uh, all what the industry is doing as we speak, we see the energy of uh, moving this forward. So, so I think in that respect, uh, despite uh, Eric's teasing our industry on the pressure and even you uh, fairly uh, or smartly, Dominic, through your question, I'm still very optimistic about this. However, let's be, let's be fair, we need um, definitely to uh, even further accelerate our transformation. And in that respect, you are right in spinning the question because I think we have uh, entered in a new, uh, I would say, technology era, thanks to DLT, thanks to cloud. So we have new tools, 
in a way that we can embark. However, these new tools come as well with uh, challenges. I think, uh, and you know, the banking industry in general is a bit conservative, which is naturally because our reputation is on the back of the trust we provide to our clients. So maybe in that respect, uh, when you look at other players from the tech world, because they were less uh, regulated, less sensitive to trust toward their clients because it was mainly retail as a first step and before a regulation framework was more challenging them. And we have seen recently that with all the privacy topic across the retail industry that has been imposed to the, to the GAFAM. I think the banking industry has been a bit in that respect more cautious. So definitely we are embarking those changes and this is part of our transformational journey. And uh, no doubt when you read all the announcement from, from ourselves, but our, our, my colleagues uh, here, whether it's State Street or City, we are uh, definitely embarking into this uh, journey. However, we want to make it right and we need to accompany on one side our clients, but as well to be mindful that the regulatory framework has not landed yet. So there are a lot of action that we are taking with our clients, with regulators at the same, uh, at the same time to make things progress, to deliver tangible value. Among the challenges that you can see, I mean, there is one as well. Uh, I think it's Chris alluded that we have legacy infrastructure to deal with. And if you come to DLT, I think in, in the post uh, market, you see clearly that one of the challenge of the DLT is that you need uh, the business case is not easy to run because uh, you, uh, you need to invest on top of your legacy infrastructure and it could not replace it uh, right away. It will take years. So not to mention the interoperability between the new technology and your legacy environment. So you have a lot of hurdles to overcome and I think we are working on it and that's the challenge as well of the new technology to make sure that it will bring value to our industry but definitely on the long term we are I'm convinced personally that we will heavily embark that but what I can bet is exactly the pace I've seen recent reports saying things will accelerate very quickly but if you take digital assets in particular, I think the regulation will certainly as well accelerate and will try to normalize things. So the technology is not always running the, 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 the race in spec. Thank you, uh, Philippe. Nadine, can I throw a similar question at you, really? Why not? You're, you're, you're head of State Street Digital. You've described uh, the bank as embarking upon a, a data-driven strategy. Why not switch to a whole new technology paradigm, possibly blockchain? and turbocharge uh, the growth of that data business at the same time as deal with this massive competitive threat which is looming from tokenization. Why not just do it? How difficult is it, is it to do? Well, uh, we are, <laughs> right? We, we are. And um, I, I think both uh, Philippe and Chris in their own way, um, you know, sort of described uh, that you, you've sort of got to balance both. Um, and Dominique, as, as you move, I don't, I don't view tokenization as a threat. I view tokenization as uh, an enabler. Um, and um, I also view that a lot of the fintech firms out there as enablers and not competitors. Um, you know, there is, um, uh, you know, before I became a banker, I, I was, you know, 
studying to, uh, to, to become uh, 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 a doctor to follow in my father's footsteps, right? And uh, there's a principle of chemistry from one of Philippe's uh, uh, countrymen uh, that, that uh, always said, like, nothing is lost, right? Nothing is created, all is transformed. And I think that is the part uh, that we're seeing our industry moving into. So I think tokenization, uh, regardless of the um, uh, regulatory framework right now, does have uh, some good applicability uh, that we're looking at, uh, whether it is from uh, uh, the way we operate internally to the way we interact with our clients. I do believe, Dominique, uh, that you're absolutely right. I think the um, the custodian's operating model will change. I think it will change for the better because of tokenization. Um, and we are looking at new stacks. So uh, you're absolutely right as the head of State Street Digital. I'll tell you, if I don't write one code, one line of code, I think I would have succeeded. Um, I think there's a lot of good fintech companies out there that have done the work, um, but yet they tend to be either very retail driven or don't have the scalability and the resiliency that you'd need a global SIFI that um, you know you have most of us on, on, on this call represent, right? So there's an element there where uh, a partnership uh, between fintech and uh, the asset servicing world uh, where we bring you know more of a global footprint, we build more a hardened infrastructure um, and I'll tell you, for all the hoopla that's out there with these fintech firms and, and the new breed of providers, our clients are still looking to the likes of State Street, City, BNP, and others to really step in and lead um, because we do need to bring the old and the new together, right? No one is going to invest, at least not in the next decade, I can see they're not going 100% digital, right? They're going to need both. So we do need... Um, to be clever on how we spend our tech dollars, as Chris indicated. Uh, we do need to bring the old and the new. Uh, within the bank, I try to explain that as bringing the Jetsons and the Flintstones together. Um, and, uh, you know, it happened, uh, you know, uh, I think cartoons uh, showed us the way a long time ago. So um, so I, I do believe it will happen. I don't believe it's a threat. And I think it's 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 really an, an enabler that's exciting for us and our clients um, as far as, you know, opening up the ecosystem. And this is where um, you're absolutely right. The words transparency, interoperability take take up a totally new meeting, uh, but they're done in a, in a, in a controlled, in a disciplined, in a safe environment, right? Like our, our clients' data is safe percent right now. We've got to exert every single effort uh, to ensure that it, it remains disposal to them safe and at their service. So that's why I'm bullish. Um, and, and again, I do believe, um, and we are looking to deploy new tech stacks, uh, but the, the challenge is how do, you, how do you make sure it seamlessly integrates with the old uh, so we can give our clients the best of both worlds. And, and that's, that's at least where uh, we're dedicating our efforts right now. Can I just be clear on one point you're making there, Nadine? It's not necessary, I think you're saying, for the, the established global custodian banks to invest in blockchain and tokenized uh, tokenization right now because there are lots of fintechs out there doing the work already and, and when they're mature and ready and they move away from retail institutions you can simply buy them is that what you were saying I'm that's not what that's not what i'm saying i mean um you know we could still use them we don't have to buy them um uh, i think uh all of us um we we you know everybody on the screen represents an era where we were in this industry where we felt if we didn't build it ourselves, it wasn't good enough, right? Like, uh, I think there are firms that had to manufacture their own pencils because they didn't believe that buying them uh, somewhere else was good. All I'm saying to you, Dominic, is we have choices today. I mean, if you really think of what fintech has done to the finance industry, it pulverized it to its lowest common denominator, right? Like, there's 
thousands and thousands of, 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 uh, of choices out there, many, many blockchain providers, many, many uh, smart contract providers. So I don't think it's necessary for us to reinvest all that um, and, and re redevelop all that. I think we will invest. Um, I think our job is to create an ecosystem that is easy um, and less confusing for our clients in the industry to leverage. Um, so we will be investing, we'll be investing differently. Um, I think Philippe said it earlier, we may buy, uh, we may partner, uh, we may take um, strategic partnership stakes in them. Uh, and that's the exciting part is I don't have to worry about building everything. I have options at my disposal today where I could go to market better, faster and, um, and cheaper for lack of a better term. Thanks, um, Nadine. And talking of choices, I hope your father wasn't disappointed by the choice you made in the end. Uh, Join the industry. I, ho I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Chris, uh, we've had a question from Emre Sabici, who says, uh, in his view, tokenization should not be uh, evaluated without current decentralized finance DeFi practices, um, such as the tokenization of cash and trading of of um, of tokens against uh, stable coins, I think is what he's saying. How do you see the securities industry responding to DeFi? Should should the industry, should the custody industry embrace DeFi or should it uh, externalize it? Um, Chris, are you guys looking at DeFi and thinking there's lots of interesting stuff going on there, which we ought to be part of? Yes, in a, in a word. But I think it's all part of the continuum you were just talking about. Um, yeah, the banks originate from clients wanting a safe store of value. That's why we hold capital. One of the challenges with DeFi is, you know, when the music stops, who's the, who's the store of capital? So I'm not about to say that, that DeFi as a movement isn't incredibly interesting for lots of technological reasons. You know, the technology behind it, the security behind it, you know, just simply how it reimagines transaction workflows. There's an incredible amount we can learn from it. I'm with Nadine in terms of time frame. Do I see it being the near-term revolution to distribution of assets all over the place in public networks? Um, I struggle a little bit with that concept. If you're a large asset manager at the end of the day, you probably want to be able to point to a bank who is your safe store of value. Um, at City, uh, and just to pick up a little bit on the, the line of questioning you have with Nadine, we are absolutely exploring tokenization and cryptography all the way, you know, the, the private network end of it, all the way to understanding more about the public network end of it. Um, obviously, there are many very public debates around the public side of things. You know, we've made investments. We will continue to make investments in the private network space. Um, also, we're, we're very interested in terms of how these things will work together, and this is also connected to the, the DeFi answer. If you have an industry with multiple different protocols, at some point that all has to come together, that all has to work seamlessly in front of the client. So one of the other areas as a firm that we're looking at is the interoperability of cryptography protocols. And we're quite advanced in, in, in where we are on this space. And I think that is also another place that banks can become essential to clients. You know, we, a lot of clients today, there, there have been a lot of headlines about particularly um, the, the cryptocurrency space. But the reality is in terms of traditional investors dipping their toe in that space, that is still a very early trend. If you actually look at the weight of 
assets held in the respective industries. You know, there, there, there is the traditional space absolutely dominates that. Um, we are very much about following the requirements of clients and making the journey for clients towards digitized, digitized assets, be they on traditional ledgers or DeFi ledgers. Um, and, and we will go that journey and in all instances, we will try and be the facilitator for clients to access those markets. We've made investments in a company out in Singapore, Bonded Value, it's a licensed digital exchange with a sub-custodian to it. And those are the types of things that we will pursue to, to raise the value prop for clients, but also go the learning journey. Um, I, I'm tempted to ask you, since you brought up standards and interoperability, uh, you know, the, the securities industry has made pretty clear it, it doesn't see the ISO 20022 standard as part of its near-term future, at least because the business case simply isn't there. But then you've got all these blockchain networks on different protocols. Uh, and you've got clients who are not prepared to, to force them to adopt um, these new standards. Are we looking actually at a whole new way of, of interoperability occurring and needing to occur simply because we're evolving towards a world of networks of networks and the old way of having compulsory migrations to fixed point-to-point -point messaging and standards is simply going away. Is this an instance where the custody industry is actually thinking much further ahead than people who listen to, to what Swift has to say about it might think? Uh, look, I can't speak on behalf of the industry, but we as a firm, absolutely the answer to that is yes. Right? Okay. Te technology is bringing new, new alternatives to market. Uh, the point I was trying to make earlier when you, you talked about open data architectures, the reality is every firm has its own data service on its proprietary platform. So do some of the OMS providers. Data standards are, are not common. When you look at transaction workflows, if you go from a marketplace transaction to an ICSD, there are four or five levels of duplicated data, duplicated technology, duplicated operations. If you were to, de to design the industry today, using modern technology, you probably wouldn't design it the way it operates. Mm -hmm. right. so that's a very forward-looking statement. What's the, where, does the, where, does, where do global custodians get paid in that vision of the future? Because you offer a client a, a higher value proposition. You offer them a hedge on the future. You offer them access, future access to digital assets when they want to take advantage of that. In all instances, you know, it's a service industry and we're trying to elevate the service proposition to clients. Could we, could we talk a little bit about, um, we're into our last 10 minutes now, we could talk about the, the, the competitive landscape. And one of our attendees has asked this question, he's posed it to the Dean, but I think any of you could, could address it. Um, on the competitive space, what do you see as the biggest threat to the security services business? Do you see other non-banks invading this space and capturing watch? And I, now Eric raised this and clearly you see in the fund business at least, um, non-banks who don't have the same capital requirements uh, you know have a competitive advantage um, against against banks um, um, Nadine I can I can see you're, 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 you're itching to answer this question but why don't we ask Philip to address it first who who is the biggest competitive threat you face is it um, is it fintechs is it um, is it big tech is it non-banks is it dare I say it the stock exchanges? getting into the data no, that, that's a good call it's maybe not as straightforward to answer but i, I would uh, i would tip it differently i would say the first challenge is ourselves. i think uh, whether you you've heard uh, nadine chris and myself i think we all collectively recognize that we are under massive transformation uh, 
because of the challenge of the industry, but as well the opportunity to embrace new technology. So I think if we are smart enough to move through this transformation journey, I think the path will be there and as expressed clearly by, by Chris, ultimately we are, we are a safe for our clients, the trust, we have the capital, and this, this will remain still for a long term very uh, important. Second angle is, of course, it's not only a question of competition. You know, in our industry, we are competing and partner or clients of each other in a way. So uh, in, in that respect, of course, I'm competing on a daily basis with Chris and Nadine's team on some mandates. But on the other side, uh, we are both clients of each other. And we have even in certain cases uh, pushing forward some industry uh, changes together, or investing in some tech collectively to bring more value to the industry. So this ecosystem is in a way very unique as part of our industry. So, so I think, of course, let's not be naive. We, we, we might lose some revenue in certain fields just because we will industrialize it collectively on a greater way and it will uh, challenge a bit some of the revenue stream. But as alluded a bit earlier, on the other side, we are developing much uh, more offer as we speak. Data management is a good example and you hear that a lot in our industry, but data management is bringing new revenue stream because ultimately, if we provide the right solution and the right tech stack behind, you simplify the lives of your clients and you remove them from the burden of going through part of their transformation journey because they outsource it to you. So I think in that respect is a moving target where you need to find our path. But I would say uh, to, to end as I started, the, the biggest challenge is for us to be smart in moving forward our transformation journey. Mm -hmm. Dean, very quickly, because we've only got uh, seven minutes left. What's the competitor you fear? Um, I don't, I mean, listen, I don't want to be arrogant enough to say uh, we're, we're, we don't fear uh, the, the new new emergence of, uh, of competitors, right? They're all nimbling at little pieces uh, of the value prop, but I'll go back and, uh, you know, reiterated what we said. As, as we're moving into a broader ecosystem, um, what we're going to do is, is enable everybody to, anybody that can add value to the client um, will be enabled um, in, in, in the asset uh, ecosystem of tomorrow, right? Like, I think that's that's a given. We're also not arrogant to think that our security, our capital is going to, um, you know, neutralize them. Uh, but at the end of the day, don't forget in the institutional world, most of the clients we deal with are actually holding monies of other individual clients, right? It's a different proposition from the retail uh, world that you're seeing, right? At the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're managing the the dreams and aspirations of somebody we don't deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, but that fund manager is, or so, um, so I don't, I, I think everybody, uh, I, I view everybody as a competitor, but at the same time, I view them as an enabler. And, um, and if they do add, add, add up uh, adding value to the client's value proposition, that will embrace them. And, um, you know, the value streams and the revenue streams, uh, Dominic, are going to change. And while in the, historically we made money by, um, you know, charging a basis point on assets and transaction fees, We'll, 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 the, the, the pricing will be a bit different. 
Um, and for every dollar lost, I think there'll be a new dollar made uh, in, the, in, the, in this new ecosystem. It's just going to change. Um, and hope, you know, and I think we'll all have the intellectual flexibility to, to flex with it um, and adapt our models accordingly. But it's not something that's going to be done overnight. It's, it's, it's going to evolve uh, because of all the things that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, we're into our last five minutes. So I'd, I'd like to... to ask each of you a question and um eric i think i'll get, come to you last with this actually it's good to get your neutral perspective on it but clearly doing nothing uh is not an option here given the story which eric told at the outset and everything which we've discussed over the last uh 45 minutes or so what do you expect the um the financial performance and the, and the market valuations of the leading global custodian banks to look like in say five years time. Do you think we're going to see a transformation of those trend lines, which which Eric showed? Um, and could you name one or two really crucial changes which need to be made, need, you need to make to start pushing those lines, those trend lines in the right direction? Um, Chris, I know you love, you, you've loved all afternoon the really difficult questions. So could I throw that at you first? Well, the, the valuation piece, I'm not going to Go there. That's that's pure speculation. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that we all work for both competitive institutions, but also institutions that hold our clients' interests and assets in the highest possible regard. So we're all going to be working really, really hard to offer you know services that meet the requirements and create value for clients. So to Nadine's point, whether it is a basis point on custody. Well, to Philippe's point, we're now delivering you know, outsourced data management as a service because that's the thing that's important. We will be building towards that. In terms of where the industry goes, tokenization, digitization of assets, I think we're all investing hard trying to pick the right technologies. I think um, no one has a crystal ball. The one, the, the one trend I am, I am confident about is consolidation. I think if you look at the markets, space and this is these are statistics i'm trying to remember off the top of my head but from a very large global asset manager put them up recently i I think in the market space the largest participants have between 12 and 15 percent market share in the cloud provider space the largest largest participants have 25 to 30 percent market share yet in the asset management space the largest asset managers are still sub five percent in terms of total share of wallet so I believe there will be continue to be consolidation in the industry on, on both sides of the street. And for the larger firms, that is going to create new opportunities to, to broaden your service proposition to clients. Philippe, what are the two crucial things? You've just heard Chris say that, that consolidation is going to be pretty key. To yeah, to take a... To take a, a of course, I don't disagree at all with Chris, but I will take another angle. What I think we alluded a lot about the new technology, whether it's cloud DLT, what I find extremely attractive is the fact that is, um, it brings a tech debate not only in the IT division now, it's across the organization. And anybody is, is speaking about this up to COMEX, et cetera, even for profile that we are not involved in the tech side of our industry. So I think I see that as a massive transformation and a massive benefit because I think it will help. We are still, to be fair, 
in the educational phase in some in some ways. But as soon as we will be out for that, I think it will accelerate the pace of transformation of our industry. So that's one of the first uh, important uh, topic. The second one, and I think we shared that as well with Nadine, is the fact that we see the external world not only as competitors, uh, and notably the tech, but I, uh, I think more and more the, the partnership mindset that our industry is embarking now, it might be between ourselves, but with the tech world in particular, has as well accelerated over the last uh, five years, but it's still the beginning. So I think I find it again very attractive because it pushes to uh, work in a different way and to find new model, collaborative model to bring value to our clients and to the stakeholders of this partnership. And I find that uh, extremely attractive as well and exciting for our industry. Thanks, Philippe. Nadine, uh, digitalization, consolidation, partnerships, I'm sure there's nothing there you disagree with, but what about just Philippe's last point there about collaboration? Do you think utilities still have a part to play in transforming this industry? Only if they transform themselves. Uh, and I'm starting to get worried about their 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 positioning, uh, to, to be honest. I mean, you look at SWIFT, you look at CLS, uh, you look at DCC, Euroclear, um, you know, all, all the utilities we've grown up with, I think they need to start to articulate their, their future position, because uh, I think Chris made that point and Dominic, you did as well. Um, this this ship is 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 about to, to to leave the docks here, and they need to jump on board. So, uh, so yes, of course, um, if they do enable our transformation, uh, we will wholeheartedly embrace them. But uh, we we can't let them slow us down either. Thanks, Adine. A very interesting observation there about the utilities uh, behind the curve, as it were. Um, Eric, a last word from, from you. you you've, you've heard our, our panelists talk about how the industry can change itself, consolidation, digitalized partnerships, uh, and how the just heard how the, the, the market infrastructures need to do something uh, to, to support the industry and save themselves from extinction. So what's, what's your parting advice to, um, to this group of clients about how they can transform their financial performance over the next five years? Sure. Thanks very much. So I, I think that despite I painting a rather alarming picture at the beginning of the webinar, I think that in five years time, all of you guys or the ones that's not on the panel, the big custodians are doing gonna be doing just fine. Investors has been in love with this industry for a reason. And you guys today have talked about all the optimism and aggressiveness to actually future-proof your business model. This is exactly what we're gonna see in the next five to 10 years. What I think that so the What's Nadine's uh, finishing uh, statement on the utility? I think this is actually going to be a very interesting thing to watch out in the next five to 10 years because something we have not talked about is the SNC plus DST, the State Street plus Charles River, the LSE plus Refinity, the Deutsche Post plus somewhere else. So we are going to see a lot of these things. Everybody ride to everybody, as I said, everybody's in the same boat. We're all trying to figure out a way how to manage in the value chain, value. Uh, uh, pressure. As a result of that, I think that this is going to be a very exciting space to watch in the next five years. Life is never going to be boring. Well, on that last point, um, we've had a very interesting observation from a member of the audience who's, who's, who says he doesn't recall an interview with Swiss Digital Exchange, STX. I think they can bring a different view to this topic. And I think that fits very neatly into what you were you were describing just there and what, what, what we were touching on earlier to do with 
exchanges as being a kind of possibly hidden influence over what happens to this industry. But sadly, I think we must, um, must stop there. I'd like to thank our panelists, Philippe Benoit from BNP Paribas, uh, Nadine Shakar from State Street and Chris Cox from City, and of course, Eric Lee from Coalition Greenwich. And thank you, the audience as well, for your engagement with this subject, especially for your questions uh, and comments. Uh, Future of Finance, our next event is two weeks tomorrow, Thursday, no, Tuesday, 28th of September, uh, where we're talking about how to fix the seemingly ineradicable problem. And Nadine brought up uh, CLS and SWIFT, but the problem we're going to address is the cost of making cross-border payments. And I hope lots of you can join us then, please do. But for now, it's goodbye from the five of us. Thank you and goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you.